0: We are privileged to be joined on the World Skills Champions Trust podcast by a true believer that the youth is our future and the voice of World Skills. This leader is a volunteer on the board of directors of the World Skills and has been acting as our World Skills president since the closing ceremony at World Skills London 2011. He will continue to be our president until the closing ceremony at World Skills Kazan 2019. Thank you for joining us on our podcast.
1: Mr. Simon Berkeley. Hello. So, Simon, uh, I'd like to start the podcast asking you how did you first get involved in the World Skills Organization or in the World Skills Family as you prefer?
2: My family has always been involved in the development and training of apprentices. And back in 1988, my father, with whom I worked, was Appointed to the board of UK Skills. So I visited my first competition in 1989 in Birmingham. So I've known about World Skills for nearly 25 years. Then there was a period of break when I got involved with my family business but also the training of apprentices and through a long process was invited to accompany the United Kingdom delegation to World Skills General Assembly in Melbourne and after there that I was appointed chief executive of UK Skills with the post of chief executive of UK Skills I became the official delegate and after 4 years of being the official delegate the members of World Skills elected me as their president that was in 2010 and I took over as you have already said at the end of the ceremony in London in 2011.
0: 2011. Uh, I like the way you said that. You got involved in 1989 and then you took a break. A lot of people that I've spoken to since I've been involved in WorldSkills tend to get in, get out. Everyone gets dragged back in because they always say it's kind of addictive in a way. It's like a bug. Once you get it you just want more.
2: It is addictive, but don't forget I was working with my father in a small business. Because he was involved, having both of us involved made it more difficult to have a successful Mm -hmm. business. So the agreement that I had with him is he would continue being involved, and indeed, I think the last competition that he attended on the board of UK Skills was 2001. And it was only when he retired from the business that I got involved Mm -hmm. in the WorldSkills family again. Mm -hmm. So it isn't that I lost interest, Mm -hmm. but it was that there was another (laughs) Barclay who was in the front of the queue to actually be involved.
1: Okay. Uh, Simon, you said you were involved in the training of apprentices. For which profession
2: or area was it? My family business that was started by my great-grandfather in 1921 was a business of electrical contracting. We have been training in uh, my family business from 1921 to 2000 uh, electricians. So every year we would take on between normally five and 25 apprentice electricians to give them a three and a half year training to become craftsmen and women that was where i started and it was through the electrical industry and the trainers of electricians that i got more generally involved mm-hmm. in skills and apprenticeships and eventually international skills and
0: apprenticeships. so it must have been a quite a large company because i have friend like to take on 25 apprentices per year you must have been quite big
2: we took on more apprentices in the years where we knew we were going to have a workload Mm -hmm. to be able to keep them busy. Mm -hmm. But uh, when I sold the company in 2000, we had a turnover of £6.1 million, (laughs) and we had a workforce uh, varying, depending on our contracts, of um, some 125 people, including apprentices. Okay,
0: nice, nice. So, Simon, um, what is your dream or what is your vision on where world skills will be in, let's say, the next year or five years or even go as far as the next ten years?
2: You asked that question at a really good time because last year in Niagara at our General Assembly, the members approved our strategic plan to the year 2025. So, in direct answer to the question, my ambition for world skills is that. By two thousand and twenty five we have moved either all the way further or nearly to the ambitions that the members have set for us for two thousand twenty five mm-hmm. you also mentioned where would we be in one or five years The answer to that is I hope that the action plans that we are developing as we speak will be milestones showing us that we are on the right journey mm-hmm. by two thousand twenty five mm-hmm. world skills should really be a movement. And by that movement, instead of only being a competition organiser, we will keep the competitions as the core, the hub of everything we do, but we will do what it says in the plan, which is increase another five focus areas, so that we are much more balanced as a movement than only being a competition organiser.
1: So, Simon, you said you've been uh, involved or you know world skills and the skills competitions for like at least 25 years, about, yeah, 89. So, you must have a lot of memories about all this time you, you have been involved too. So, what would you say it has been the biggest highlight so far?
2: That's a really easy question to answer, <laughs> because it's the same over the whole 25 plus years, and the answer is... My highlight is meeting the young people who compete within the competitions. I do what I do as President of World Skills because I believe that every young person should have the opportunity to shine and develop themselves to their maximum potential. I don't do it for meeting presidents or prime ministers. I don't do it to get myself a better job. I do it because I passionately believe in my heart that the future of the world is based in the hands, the heads, and the hearts of the young people of today. And the more I can support that, the more certain I can be that skills will deliver a sustainable mm-hmm. and better future than the past has been.
0: And I think that kind of goes, <coughs> that goes um, hand in hand with your involvement with Alex and the Champions Trust, because Alex always tells us that Simon's always asking what you're doing and where have you been, and you're always impressed with the, the nine members on the Trust and what they've been up to, and they're always just constantly busy.
2: I'm often asked what I hope my legacy for World Skills will be after having been president for eight years. And one of the key legacies that I hope I leave behind is the creation of the World Skills Champions Trust? Mm-hmm. It came from an idea from our World Skills Youth Forum in Lucerne in 2014 and has grown ever since. I feel absolutely passionately, before the approval and the support that was given by the members, all the way through the creation, that we need the youth who have experienced the journey to a skills competition to carry on working with their colleagues from those days and with the future competitors so that we have a sustainable future based on youth. So I make no apology mm-hmm. for the fact that I regularly speak about youth and I regularly speak about the World WorldSkills Champions Trust.
0: And I, know, I make no apology that you support it because without that I wouldn't be on it and I wouldn't be here... Uh, hosting this podcast with you,
1: and I would have never met Ricardo. None so. of us. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's great, it's great being involved in World Skills and just to have such opportunity to meet so great people, and just improve our lives that much.
2: Well, and can I just, uh, while we're in a moment of congratulating everybody, can I say how great it has been to work with the nine World Skills Champions Trust, who were appointed following Sao Paulo, and are about halfway through their first period of, of being that committee. Um, I've been lucky to have been to many of the countries from which the individuals come. I've been in other countries with champions um, through the last year. I have fellow members of the board who have worked with Champions Trust at all sorts of events in all sorts of countries. And I believe that if somebody were to dispassionately—and yeah. I can't be dispassionate—but dispassionately look at the work of the World Skills Champions Trust, they would say, "Why on earth has it taken 67 years mm-hmm. to create the Champions Trust? It was an absolute certainty; it would have worked after the first competition mm-hmm. in 1950."
1: Yes, and I—I I, I can say that. Unfortunately, I couldn't be into—I couldn't even be into. Niagara Falls, due to my healthy, but I got some feedback from other champions that went to the youth forum in Niagara. I can tell for sure that they, are really, they really want to get involved more with World Skills, and World Skills Champions Trust is definitely, is definitely doing a great bridge for getting these champions to World Skills family. Mm-hmm. So, Simon, if you could go back 10 years in your life, Is there anything you wish to have changed or have done
2: differently? Uh, In in my life, I think we're going back to 2007, which is when I first joined the board of World Skills um, at the competition in Japan in 2007, I had just been appointed chief executive of UK skills. I suppose from the UK skills point of view, I would have liked to have worked with more Experts and competitors to encourage them to take the message of skills out of their competition lives and into their home lives, into their college lives, into their working lives to persuade more of their parents, their teachers, and their employers to understand the critical nature of skills development amongst young people. In the family of world skills, I don't know. I think that in my, so far, six and a half years as president, and the four years before that, I don't think I have any regrets. There were things that I could certainly have done better. I could probably have shortened some of my speeches. But then again, that advantage to the members and the audiences would have been offset that they wouldn't have had as long to sleep, and therefore they would have been more tired. So, no, we are where we are. I don't have regrets about my life and world skills. I, don't have, I, won't ha- I will have regrets when I stop being president, but they're not regrets that are, are negative. They will be regrets that I won't have those great opportunities that I'm having at the moment as president of meeting the young people, mm-hmm. the competitors, the school children that we saw yesterday, uh, to the one school, one country's programme launch. But I'm sure that I can find something to help me get over that.
1: Maybe you hey, should create the uh, Board of Directors Trust for
2: breathing <laughs> together. <laughs> <laughs> it was created here, let's say that you joke about that. We have the World Skills Champions Trust. I've got another two and a half years. I still believe that there are two other groups of individuals who we ought to be engaging. Firstly, I think some sort of World Skills Experts Trust mm-hmm. would be something that I've been giving some thought about um, for past experts, because sometimes experts uh, give up because of working reasons or something else. Mm-hmm. Um, so, some sort of, of World Skills Experts Trust. And secondly, and we have it and it's beginning to really work here, we don't call it the World Skills Honorary Members Trust but the use of past official delegates, uh, past technical delegates, past chief executives of national skills organisations who have the same sort of withdrawal symptoms that you as champions Mm have had Mm -hmm. needs to be improved so that we can use those phenomenal skills that they have as insiders who are now outsiders Mm -hmm. to be able to affect and influence the way we move forward. Sometimes it's very difficult as a member of the Board of Directors, as President, to use a British phrase, to see the wood for the trees. Sometimes we're so engaged in the executive work of the organisation, we don't stand far enough back to see what it looks like from outside. Mm-hmm. I think the honorary members will increasingly be important to make world Skills operate. Mm-hmm. Whether there should be a World Skills Past President's Trust, I have no (laughs) idea. I think you'll all be sick and tired of me by the end of Kazan, so please give me a few years of peace and quiet.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So, in in your opinion, do you think there will be much of a difference in the competition being hosted in Abu Dhabi later this year? This is the first time that the World Skills Competition will take place or will be hosted in the Middle East.
2: As you you rightly say, this is the first time in the Middle East, in the Gulf, and an Islamic country, Um, but the competition, the core of the competition, the 51 disciplines that will be taking place here in Abu Dhabi in October will actually be very similar to the competition that was observed in Sao Paulo, Leipzig, London. Of course, there will be some subtle differences. There will be some differences in relation to the material and the equipment used. But for those people who think, well, it's going to be hot and the sun's going to be shining all the time, yes, it will be. But the competition venue is air-conditioned and it doesn't have any windows. So for the competitors competing, for the experts looking after them, for the delegates attending, I think, rightly so, it will be primarily the same competition. Mm -hmm. A little bit bigger, a little bit better, I hope. But I think if somebody were to land in Abu Dhabi in October 2017 and compare it with WorldSkills London in 2011, yes, they'd notice differences, but they'd have to look pretty hard. Mm. Of course, I want it to be better than it's ever been. You know, I was very involved in London 2011. I've always said that whilst London was the best competition, It built on the success. It stood on the shoulders of success of what happened in Calgary, Mm -hmm. what happened in Shizuoka. And frankly, I expect and hope that Abu Dhabi will be better than Sao Paulo, Mm -hmm. which itself should have been better, was better than Leipzig and London and whatever. If we don't have that continual improvement, then we are doing something wrong. I think some of the other differences are some of the cultural experiences that competitors, experts, visitors, uh, delegates will experience. The atmosphere is different, the entertainment is different, the food is different, but the world skills movement is nothing unless we're not of our cultural diversity. Actually, one of the things we do is we bring young people to the competition, not just to compete, but to actually broaden their minds, to broaden their experiences, to broaden their cultural understanding of what is going on in the world. If we want to live in a peaceful world in the future, we need people who come from New Zealand to understand the people who come from Namibia. Mm -hmm. And we need the people who come from Brazil to understand Ireland, from Russia to understand the United States, for the United States to understand India. If we can do that as part of the environment within which competitions exist, then we will have done a greater service to the world than even improving the skills base of the world. I hope there are some cultural differences. I hope everybody takes the opportunity to experience and relish those cultural differences and take those back to their families, their friends, their teachers, their employers, their governments so that the world can be a better place in our futures. Okay. That's right,
1: for sure. That's one of the most important things for Skills I would say. Yeah. Understanding the other cultures and knowing there's not right way, but different ways to do and understand things. Mm. So, Simon, I know you have addressed many audiences in your time in skills as president. Is there any message you'd like to share with the audience today, our podcast
2: audience? The future of the world is in the hands of the young people of today in the world. And I am absolutely certain that our futures are secure because of that. Uh, Simon, did you ever compete at a World Skills event? I didn't compete as a competitor in an an, an official skills category, Mm -hmm. but some people may recall that I competed in Jamaica at the General Assembly, I competed in an election to be the president of World Skills and I have to tell you that that competition was exactly the same level of intensity and adrenaline burn that I expect many of our champions experience as official competitors. The truthful answer to your question, without digression, is no, I've never been a competitor. Unofficially, yeah.
1: Unofficially, yeah.
2: If if I remember well, uh, in São Paulo you competed
1: for Caipirinha making,
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> and you did win. I I have to say it was a, I didn't expect a British to win a Brazilian in the Capeirinha making. <laughs> I have
2: to, for those of you who are listening to this, let me just explain Ricardo's comment there. The World Skills Champions put together a competition of capparino-making in Sao Paulo, at Skills Sao Paulo, 2015. And they put me up against a much younger professional cocktail maker to make a capparino. And to my eternal shame, because it demonstrates what a misspent youth I must have had, I managed to make The best capparino fastest. (laughs) I then drank it, which was probably a mistake.
0: (laughs) If you could go into a skill, if you were 20 or 19 now, and you could compete, what skill
2: do you think you would compete in? I think that's the most difficult question that you've asked me. I'm often asked by journalists, what is my favourite skill? Mm -hmm. And I have an answer to that that I won't give you because I'm not a politician and I feel I ought to at least try and answer your question. But I don't know. I know which ones I would be absolutely rubbish at and the ones where I would just be plain rubbish, which is the total of all of them. Which one would I enjoy most competing in? I will be shot for not saying electrician.
0: Yeah. Of course.
2: (laughs) But going back to the idea of capperinos, that would be restaurant service, although I think I would like a change to the restaurant service competition that allows the competitors to be doing more of the front of house meeting and greeting and big personality type (laughs) approach rather than the traditional way of being a waiter or a cocktail maker. But I think either restaurant services or perhaps cooking, I don't think my language is bad enough to be a cook. Would you try plastering or would that be in one of the... I would be useless at <laughs> plastering.
0: Or graphic design?
2: <laughs> graphic design, um, uh, the Secretariat of World Skills will tell you that put me in front of a computer, it is a disaster. <laughs> David Hoey, as chief executive, has a rule for his staff, which is only teach Simon one IT thing per visit, (laughs) because if you teach him more, he will forget (laughs) three.
1: Perfect. (laughs) There was a skill for... Tie choosing, I believe you, you would oh, do yeah. it really well. <laughs> yeah, <you're> exotic ties. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's interesting you say that, um, there are two or three things that I try and collect when I'm travelling around the world. Uh, one of them is ties. I love my ties, there aren't many articles of clothing that I as a president can wear that allows me to express a personality. or an acceptable personality. (laughs) So ties are something very close to my heart. I'm slightly against the norms that say you should always wear a boring tie so that people listen to your message, Mm. not look at your tie. But perhaps, well, I do, I disagree with that. Secondly, I try and collect a cookery book from every country that I visit. I enjoy cooking, I enjoy my food, but I love going home with a cookery book and looking at cultural, the national norms of food. Um, I cooked some of them, not all of them. Mm-hmm. And, but it gives me a memory of when I visited a country. So the most recent new country was Georgia, and I have a Georgian cookbook. The other thing, and this is perhaps a little stranger, is that I tend to pick up a fridge magnet from all of the countries or cities, and have a large piece of metal above my desk on the wall where I put the fridge magnets. And I don't try and buy one that just has the map of the country or one feature. I try and buy a crazy fridge magnet (laughs) of the country so that when I'm sitting at my desk trying to work out what I'm going to say to interviewers, I actually look at it and it makes me smile and somehow that makes it easier for me to work. Mm-hmm.
1: Good. I go for shorting glasses.
2: <laughs> <You got Yeah. laughs> shot glasses. I have to tell you, yeah. I've got a Caperino shot glass, but I've also got a bottle of cachaça, so uh, we'll, we'll leave it at that.
0: Thank hey, you very much. Perfect. Yeah, thanks for being on the uh, World Skills Champions Shows podcast. Anytime. We'll be sure to get you, once the competition is on, on the floor of the World Skills Abu Dhabi. Thank you for tuning in to the World Skills Champions Trust podcast. The Champions Trust was established in 2014 to help bridge the gap between champions and world skills. The Champions Trust consists of nine world skills champions who competed at one of the past three world skills competitions. The nine representatives come from different countries and skill areas spanning the globe to represent all world skills member countries. Tune in next time for more on what the Champions Trust has been up to and how you may be able to get
2: involved.